I'd like to ask you a question this morning. That question is, do you live with expectations that have been put upon you, um, whether they be at work, whether they be from family or friends, that you feel like you don't have a hope of meeting? And I've got another question. Is there there anyone here today who has perhaps lost sight of the goal that they're, they're heading goal that they're heading towards even if you just lost focus or if you're heading in a completely different direction this morning is for you I really believe God has got some great stuff to feed your soul with this morning so listen up the rest of you can go to sleep those of you that have been doing night shifts can, can go you know, nod off now if you want to we're going to have a look at um, the second book of Kings not all of it, just uh, chapter 2 and the first 18 verses. We've been looking over past weeks at, um, on and off at the life and ministry of Elijah. And this morning is the last morning that we're going to be looking at the life and ministry of Elijah. And possibly I've just given you a clue as to what happens now in the story. That this is the last morning that we're looking at his life. Chapter 2 of, of 2 Kings, and it's first 18 verses. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. The company of prophets... Oh, but Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said, said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they, uh, so they went to Jericho. And the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And Elisha replied, Yes, I know, but do not speak of it. This is becoming somewhat sort of pantomime-esque in that every, every place he goes to, he gets asked the same question and gives the same response. And Elijah says to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a very difficult thing, Elisha said. Uh, sorry, Elijah said. You get, we're going to have to watch out for... I'm going to be mixing up Elijah's and Elisha's all the way through this morning, so forgive me. Just bear with me on this, okay? 
You've asked a very difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. He took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan, on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up or, and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha, said, Elisha replied, do not send them. I, I don't know why this, this group of, of 50 prophets think that for some reason uh, God is, in, you know, is a bit of a butterfingers and is going to drop Elijah on, on his way down to heaven. I, I, I don't quite understand that. I think Elisha realises a little bit more about God than, than they do, that Elijah was only on his way up to heaven and he wasn't going to be dropped down again. Anyway, um, but, they, but they persist until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And, they, and so they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. And when they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Okay, let's, let's pray quickly and then um, and, and ask God to, to really open this passage up to us. Lord, we, we want to thank you for this, this story of... Um, Elijah's ministry and, and the way that you passed that on to Elisha. Lord, that there's so much that you can teach us from this. I thank you for the way you've opened it up to me and I pray that you would, you would open up our hearts, Lord, to hear your words. Father, give me clarity to communicate this. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, the story, we pick up the story on what seems to be Elijah's farewell tour. He, I don't know the, the exact purpose of, of, um, of, the different, of the different places he's going to. Um, we, we don't see that in, in the Bible exactly why he's going to each of these places. But we, we do know that he is clocking up a fair few miles going between the, these different places. I also don't know why Elijah was particularly wanting any space from, from Elisha. You know, we see him saying, Look, Elisha, you stay here, I'll go, I'll go off to Jericho, I'll go off to Bethel. Again, I'm not really able to enlighten you on this. I mean, perhaps as essentially Elisha's employer, you know, he was thinking about the Health and Safety Act. You know, there, there are... 
you know, they were clocking up a lot of miles, there's risk of blisters. They're, they're going to be crossing through the middle of the Jordan, that's a pretty big risk of drowning or something, not to mention risks of smoke inhalation and burns when flaming chariots turn up. So perhaps he's just got his best interests at heart. We, we saw before as well that Elisha is Elijah's attendant. So he's literally carrying Elijah's bags. Now, Elisha, Elijah probably realises, I don't need any bags where I'm going. You, know, you, you take, you take the, the weight off your feet. You don't need to clock up all these miles with me. I'm pretty certain that Elisha wasn't directly disobeying Elijah by, saying, by, by not staying where Elijah told him to. Um, after, after the years that he would have spent with Elijah... I'm sure he realised that it wasn't a very good idea to cross him or disobey him. It didn't turn out very well for the people that did. So this is probably more of a suggestion that we see here. But it does give Elisha a real opportunity to, even after all these years, when he's finally given a day off, show his dedication to, God's, to the work that God is doing through Elijah. These are if you look in, in the message translation um, Elijah talks about, um, talks about being sent on an errand from God now Elisha might realise that this isn't headline grabbing you know, full of miracles work day today but it's still God's errand and it's still important and he's still sticking with, sticking with his mentor with his boss Elijah and, and faithfully doggedly carrying on with him the whole time and there isn't a hint in anything that he says that he would rather be anywhere else but with Elijah now they go to a number of different places and uh, they end up at the Jordan and I I think this is quite a significant um, part, of the, part of the story and I would love to be able to talk about this bit more but I'm just going to give you a very brief summary of, of what, how I, I see this bit as, as significant to, to the rest of the story here. You see when people cross um, water in the Bible or pass through water in the Bible it seems to be a really important time in their lives it seems to mark a whole new chapter we see the Israelites coming out of Egypt passing through the Red Sea um, and and God using that as as a way to protect them and all of a sudden they go from being a people who are under a foreign master to being identified as God's people and also fully reliant on God's provision to them of, of bread and, and uh, or of manna and water and also for his guidance in the desert. And then fast forward 40 years on and you see them again crossing the Jordan whilst it's in flood into the promised land and in, into all these, uh, in, into the promised land to face battles and challenges which their own reconnaissance, their own intelligence says, you know, these people are too big for us, they're too, they're too well armed for us and too strong, we're never going to defeat them and yet they have to fully rely on God to give them the victory. We see, if you, if you go on beyond the time of Elijah and Elisha, we see Jonah, uh, a prophet from God who's sent on this, on this uh, mission to, to Nineveh with a, with a message of repent or perish and 
in his worldly wisdom, Jonah says, no, that's not going to be a very welcome message in Nineveh. I know, I'll run away from God. And he ends up being thrown over a boat, uh, thrown over the side of the boat to save a boat that's in the middle of a storm. And finally, he stops running from God. Now, admittedly, his passage through water is slightly more vertical than, than uh, the Israelites uh, so far. But God, at, at that point, you know, we, we know that when there's nothing left that we can do, we know of a saying, you know, let go and let God. When, there's, when there is nothing left for you to do, God provides and God takes care and he, he provides a, a way out for Jonah by, um, by this big fish swallowing up, taking him to dry land and Jonah carries on to deliver a message which essentially brings revival to Nineveh. And then a very important passage through water we see in the New Testament when a plain old carpenter gives up his private life to become the most revered teacher, the most phenomenal teacher and saviour that this world has ever seen. And, and that was a process where he was baptised, he was immersed in water and, and that seems to almost sum up the all the imagery and symbolism that we've seen before, that it's dying, dying to the old and being cleansed and being raised up as a new creation. And we're going to see a lot more of that um, when, we, when we have the baptism service on, on the 7th of October, late, uh, in a few weeks' time. So, how does all this really relate to Elisha and Elisha? Well, you know, I've mentioned before Elisha was carrying Elijah's bags. He, you know, he was his attendant. He was like the, the work experience boy, you know? My, my cousin had a, a great work experience in a hotel in Eastbourne quite, quite a few years ago now. You, you'll know how many years ago because this story in, involves doilies, which I don't think I've ever seen in a hotel in my lifetime, actually. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, but certainly not when I can remember. <laughs> anyway, so, so five days he's at this hotel and the manager says to him, first day, takes him into this great big store cupboard, right? And, and he says, right, here's, a box of, here's the boxes of doilies that reach from the floor to the ceiling and here's the boxes of napkins that reach from the floor to the ceiling. I want to know how many doilies and how many napkins exactly to the number we have in here. He just, he just wanted my cousin out of the way. And so, and, so he just, and so my cousin just spent five days in a broom cupboard with his feet up, making up numbers of how many doilies there were. I'm sure Elijah was being a little bit more diligent in his mentorship of Elisha. I'm sure he wasn't getting him to just do the photocopying or make the tea. They were, they were spending ages together, sharing every step here. Okay, they, So they probably... They, they were talking about all the things that were of God and talking about the miracles that, that God was doing through Elijah. He was going from being the attendant to the prophet. That is a big, big step. You know, he might have had some good learning, but it's still a big jump to make. And he had to put away the, the old thought of I am just a servant here to being I am God's prophet. He had to put to rest 
his old identity and be raised as a new creation here. And I really think that's, that's the significance of why they passed through the Jordan. Now, there are a few more things that we're going to look at this morning. And they are that Elisha asks for a double portion. Elisha asks for a double portion. Elijah tells Elijah to fix his eyes on him. And also that Elijah picks up so Elisha picks up Elijah's cloak. Sorry, <laughs> bear with me. Right, so we're going to look at, uh, at these three more things in, in a little bit more detail. They get to the other side of the Jordan and Elijah, finally, for the first time in the story, actually starts talking about, okay, I'm going now. Is there anything you, that you'd like me to do um, for you? And Elisha says, uh, yeah, can I inherit a double portion of your spirit? Now, this seems like quite an odd thing to ask for. Um, You know, I I really had to sort of look into this as as to why why would he ask for such a thing? Well, it highlights two really important points. The first is that it was quite a a normal Jewish custom, a, a Jewish law that was actually laid down in Deuteronomy that the firstborn son would inherit twice what the other siblings would inherit in order to carry on the work of the father. Now, Elisha had already given up, he'd kissed goodbye to his father and mother, in, and we see that in 1 Kings, and he'd, he'd, he'd burnt his earthly um, possessions, all, all his farming equipment and everything. He had nothing, and it just goes to show the, sort of the strength of the relationship that Elijah and Elisha had, essentially as father and son. We, we see when Elijah's taken away that um, Elijah, Elisha cries out, my father, my father. He, this really is a strong father-son relationship that they have. I have a, a, a colleague at work who has the most impeccable CV for the clinical area that she works in. She is a wonderful teacher. Um, she is a wonderful Manager. She manages to kind of just see all the strategic stuff at work and deal with all the day-to-day stuff at work. And she does twice the amount of clinical stuff as anybody else. And she, she manages to teach people well the whole, the whole time. And she does all of this in the hours of eight to four and leaves always, you know, always in on time and always leaves on the dot and she never works late. I just think, you know, if, if Superwoman were... Uh, real, she would be there working in the NHS. She, she's this woman. Except, she's now left her job and I'm supposed to be her successor. I'm supposed to step up to the really high standard that she's set. And I'm, I just, I've got to say, I don't feel ready for this. I, I even said it in, in my job interview. I said, I'm not, do, you re, do you really want me to do this? Because I, I don't quite feel up, up to it. And, and my bosses have said, look, you know, we'll, we'll help you with this, which is great, because I just need them to know that I, I don't feel ready in myself for that kind of step. If we look at, at the actual time that they crossed the Jordan in, in verse 
8. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And Elisha was like, wow, how did you do that? That was amazing. That was amazing. Well, look, it doesn't say that. Why doesn't it say that? Because Elijah was doing this kind of stuff all the time. Yeah? This was not... This, you know, Dividing the Jordan, that was a normal day's work for Elijah. And yet, Elisha has never done anything like this before. Elijah has set a very, very high standard for his attendant, for his successor, to achieve. And so, I don't think Elisha asking for a double portion of Elijah's spirit is a particularly greedy thing to do. It's just he recognises the inadequacies in him and that he knows that he's never going to reach that standard by himself. And he's just asking for some God-given tools to do a job for God's glory. He believes in the message that Elijah is bringing to, to Israel, the message that, that God is speaking to them. And, and he wants desperately to, to... He's committed to the message and he wants desperately to carry it on. And he's just asking for the tools to do so. His, God's glory is, in, is at the heart of his request to inherit a double portion. So, having asked for a double portion, Elijah realises this is quite a hard thing to ask for, but also knows that God can grant this on, on the basis that Elisha is asking, asking for it just out of, out of uh, glory for God, really. So, what does he, what does he say? He, he lays down some conditions under which Elisha will receive a double portion of his spirit. And those conditions are just, you must be watching me when I'm taken away. You must be watching me when I'm taken away. And if if you do, then you will receive the spirit. Just watch. Now this reminds me of times uh, of what we, what we see encouragements in the book of Hebrews when we're told to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We see it in a lot of other um, verses as well. Um, in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law or turn my eyes away from worthless things or let, my, let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze um, directly before you. That's Proverbs 4. We see, a lot of, we see a lot of times we're just encouraged to fix our eyes on the goal ahead. To fix our eyes on the goal that is Jesus. So Elisha must be thinking here, now look, Elijah's given me a day off at the beginning of this chapter, okay, and I've still managed to stick with him. He's saying, I've just got to keep watching. Now, aside from the occasional awkward moment when perhaps nature calls, all right, We're, it's 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 a pretty easy thing for Elisha to keep his eyes on on Elijah. Not that difficult. Well, I'd actually say, Elisha, that's a pretty tough thing to do, as far as I'm concerned. I find church can be quite a distraction sometimes. You know, you get here, you set up, you're trying to you're trying to get things sorted out for the meeting. You know, we we had the the um, the new day. Um, events uh, a few few weeks ago in August, and we had I, I was working on a on a group in um, Allenton with uh, with Susan and and Matt, and 
it, it was a great time, but we had 50 kids to look after, to serve the community, to keep safe, to, and, and to really just show God's love to the, to the, people, around, uh, the people around us. Now, that's a, a, a great... There's great potential in that, but there's great responsibility in that as well. And I think we were doing that five days, and on two of those days, I, I forgot to pray. I, I was so caught up in the, in the details and how on earth are we going to get this sorted out and, and you know, who's going to be doing the painting, who's going to be doing the weeding, all this kind of thing. I was just focused on arrangements that I didn't set, I didn't set the thing before God. And, and I, didn't, I, didn't encourage, I didn't encourage the kids who came on, came on on those days to, to pray as well. Now, the days that I did, what a difference we had. You know, we saw such great things on, on the days that we did give all of it to God. It was amazing. You know, it might not just be church that's, that distracts you, that slightly adjusts your focus from Jesus. It might be... It might be really great things that are outside of church, like your family, or necessary things like work, or keeping up, keeping up relationships with, with friends and family. You know, all, all of that stuff is important, but can just distract you from, it can just take away the, not give you the time to perhaps focus on God as much as you need to sometimes. There'll, there'll be other people who aren't just distracted and haven't, have lost a bit of focus, but you might be looking in a different direction. You might not want God's glory to shine into the darkest corners of, what you, of, of your heart at the moment. Or you might just be too proud to hand over what God can, what God can deal with just like, just like that. You know, let, let me say to you, you know, Romans 8 talks about there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Don't, don't try and hold on to things that you're struggling with just go to Jesus. He will not condemn you. He will welcome you with open arms. The more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more time we spend with him, the more use we, the easier it is to spend more time with him. You know, we, Graham was, uh, mentioned last week about, um, uh, about a, a verse in Ephesians 5 which talks about being filled with the Spirit. It actually talks about the literally, tra- literal translation is to continually go on being filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say, oh, just let it happen once. It says, let it happen all the time. You know, it's a, we have to work at continually fixing our eyes on Jesus and continually asking to be filled with his Spirit. Elisha might have found it easy, but it's something that... I certainly need to work on. I, would, I dare say I'm not the only person in this room that finds it difficult. Our last main point, really, is after Elijah is taken up into heaven, did I just say Elisha? Taken into, I meant Eliza. Sorry. Anyway, all right, so after one of them was taken into heaven, <laughs> Elisha tears his clothes with grief. Uh, and that's, that was, that's quite a normal way of expressing that in, 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 this, in this time. And 
quite handily, it's quite handy that God has also provided a, a cloak. Um, Elijah's cloak did fall um, as he was being taken up into heaven. And so Elisha can now put this cloak on. Now, trivia junkies, beware. Are there, are there, is, there anyone, is, is there anyone here with a new King James or, or a King James version of the Bible? Yeah, are you, have you got it now? Okay, well, you'll, you'll notice in verses 8 and 13 and 14, okay, that if, if, in most Bibles it will say, um, we'll talk about Elijah's cloak, but in, but in uh, your Bible, Maggie, it will say that the word for cloak is. Uh, no, verse 8. <laughs> so uh, Elijah picks up his cloak and it's called a mantle. Okay? Now, I, I didn't really know that a mantle was used interchangeably with the word cloak. It's, it's just an old word. But have you ever heard the term to pick up the mantle? Or, or to take on the mantle? That is a very well-known metaphor and yet its actual origins, if you, if you look through any, um, any kind of dictionary of the English language and, and idiom and such, it all comes from Second Kings. Here, this story about Elisha picking up the mantle. It means to pick up responsibility, to take responsibility for what's going on and say, yeah, I'm going to do something about this. When Elisha was first called, Elijah covered him in his cloak. The, the cloak, the mantle, represents the, min, the ministry um, that Elijah had um, as God's prophet. And now, Elisha has taken that on because he's put on this cloak. I don't know where... Um, what what cloaks you can you know, metaphorical cloaks you can see lying around that need picking up and doing, but I, I want to say to you that if if people every day using the English language can can recognise the the importance of this story and and you know the English language has turned it into this timeless metaphor that talks about picking up responsibility, then how important is it for us to be perhaps, to be looking at at this story, where the origins come from, and go, actually, I am going to pick up this mantle. I am going to take up this responsibility. God has given me these powers. These, this, he's equipped me. He's given me the, the strength to do this, and I will do this for him. You know, we, we talked last week about areas in the church that, where we need people to take up responsibility in ministry whether it be in kids' work, work of the youth, in the band, in the welcome team, in... Uh, I, I, I can't go through it all. In, in cell groups. <laughs> um, and, and there are also times to pick up responsibility and, and the mantle outside of church and actually showing God's love to people around us every day. You know, I'm, I'm not going to try and draw distinctions about one being more worthy than the other. God has given us responsi- God has given us powers, and if we look on Him, He will give us the strength and abilities to do to do great things. And all we need to do is accept 
that responsibility to put on that cloak and be, and be clothed with his power. We've looked at a number of, of things now. We've looked at um, the need to leave behind our old ways, to be made new and cleansed. We've, we've looked at needing to recognise our own inadequacies, but we're not expected to struggle on by ourselves. We're not expected to accomplish by ourselves. God will provide his spirit to do so. And all we need, what we need to do is look upon him to fix our eyes on Jesus and ask for his spirit. And in doing so, then we need to pick up the mantle that is around for us to pick up, the responsibility that is around for us to pick up. Should we stand and pray? Out of the main things that we've looked at, I, re- I really feel God is... Is, is prompting me to pray for people that need to fix their eyes on Jesus. Now, whether that be that you just need a little bit of refocusing, you just need to sharpen the image on Jesus because you're being a little bit distracted. Whether it's because you're looking in totally the opposite direction because you can't bear to look at him for his glory. Or whether it's because you've never even met him before and you don't know where to look then we'd love to pray with you this morning. And there's, there's another group I want to pray for, and that's people that feel inadequate to do the task that they feel that God has put on their hearts, that feel they're not up to, to the task of, of perhaps even their everyday life. And you need to ask for God's spirit to be on you, for his strength to be in you and if you'd like prayer for those things whilst, whilst we're singing these songs please come out to the side here and we'll start praying with you okay